the single use idea sort of gets a lot of hate in general, but there's definitely ways to improve it. To stay within our planetary boundaries, the circular economy needs to happen. We know. There's already a lot of focus on what needs to happen and why. But I feel a lot of people are ready to talk more about how to make a circular economy reality. In this podcast, we focus on the business side of circular economy, and I talk to practitioners and academics that have found solutions on how to make circular business models happen. Welcome to Circular But How. In this episode, we will talk about how to apply circular economy in the case of single-use products. And today, my guest is the sustainability specialist of a company you may not yet have heard about, but I'm pretty sure you may have used one of their products without knowing. The company I'm talking about is called Duni, and they have the headquarters in Malmö in Sweden. Duni delivers packaging and takeaway solutions and table setting concepts. So their products are mainly single-use products, napkins, tablecloths, plate, cutlery and more. Okay, single-use products. I'm very excited to learn more about this. To say the least, single-use disposable products are not really what we strive for with a circular economy. But if you have listened to episode 2 with Professor Amarie Tillman, you will have heard that it is very unlikely that we can completely get rid of single-use disposable products. One important message I think of our work is that, hey guys, there are a lot of other products, products that are consumable, and we will keep having consumable products. And let's try and think a bit about how do they fit into the circular economy and how can we make those kind of products more resource efficient? Uh, yeah, you may want to listen to that episode because Amari explains how it is important to make sure that these disposable products are produced efficiently with materials that are the least harmful alternative. So just like the recent EU directive suggests, which has issued an EU-wide ban on many single-use plastic products by 2021. And then, of course, disposable needs to be recycled at the end of life or recovered in another way, like composting. Sometimes it is also possible to shift to multiple use or avoid. So that means to use only what is really needed. Much of this is what Dooney has already been working on and they have come a good way. 41% of products and table covers are compostable. 37% of takeaway solutions are from renewable materials. And until 2030, Dooney aims to have outfaced all fossil-based plastics and they are actively working on collecting and recycling solutions of their products. So it is fantastic that Lindsay is sharing her experiences with us. I asked Lindsay if she could explain where you or myself may have come across a Dooney product. So at sit-down restaurants, so if you go to a sit-down restaurant and they have uh, napkins that are single-use napkins, they're not the, the paper napkins that you're probably familiar with, but they're probably napkins that are a little bit higher quality, a little bit heavier, and you're wondering, are these actually single-use? And the answer is yes, they are. Um, it's because they're, they're made from an air-laid material um, instead of a, the pulping, the normal pulping material. Yeah. Then we have takeaways. So, for example, in Sweden, if you know it, uh, Holy Greens, uh, they have our products. They're proud users. And you can also find Dooney products at a grocery store chain. I'm myself not familiar with Holy Greens. Is it a chain in Sweden? Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. They sell salads. Hearing this, 
I bet that even those of us that are actively trying to avoid single-use products may have ended up using a Dooney product. Maybe in a restaurant or at your mom's last birthday party. But can you imagine a single-use product being circular? It really needs a radical shift. But how? So here is where Lindsay and I started talking about why circular economy is important for Dooney. And she is giving us some examples of what Dooney is already doing in terms of circular economy. Yeah, sustainability is one of our core values at Dooney. And I'm, I feel very fortunate and lucky to be working at a company that takes sustainability very seriously. Um, so circular economy has been talked about because we are mainly a product company. So of course this is an important issue and it's an important issue from you know the raw material all the way to the end of life and all of the challenges that sort of sit within that. You have quite a challenge because you work with disposable products. So I was wondering how you apply circular economy to disposable products. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. I think we're already a bit at a disadvantage because the single use idea sort of gets a lot of hate in general, but there's definitely ways to improve it. I mean, we sit here, you know, in the 21st century where we have more and more takeaway and to go. We see different strategies like reuse or bringing, bringing your own cup or your own bowl or something. But I think we, we have to be a little bit realistic that we're still going to have this need of, you know, convenience. So how can you take convenience and sort of couple it together with good circular economy strategy? So you can do different things. You can of course look at, you know, the materials where you're, where you're sourcing or what you're sourcing. A good example is baguette, which is a byproduct of, of sugar production. So baguette is what happens when the sugar cane is crushed to get the sugar out. Yeah. And then what's left over is this fibrous mixture. And yeah. that is then sold to us. And then we take that or a, a supplier takes it and they turn it into a material baguette and, and form it into bowls or cups or, or whatever. Um, another place that you can improve there is design. Yeah. So how do you design a product that, you know, creates less waste or maybe also understanding how a customer, the, the end user uses it? Um, how will they dispose of it? Uh, what makes sense? Um, so we've been looking at designing a lot for compostability. And does it make sense to do that? Does it make sense to design a lot for recyclability? And the answer there is, is quite complex. Wow. And there's a lot to go in there, but we won't cover that all here. <laughs> that is a huge topic. I think I would have loved to be there in some of those discussions that you had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. If you can fill us in, the key challenge is even if you design a product for compostability, it is unsure whether it will be collected in the right waste stream. So we have sort of a disconnect between, you know, public perception of something and also what actually happens. What is the more sustainable option? I think a lot of our customers feel that having something that's compostable feels, looks, it sounds more sustainable. Yeah. Um, but of course, we, we need to evaluate whether or not that's the case. We actually have a, you know, our, our daughter company in Australia, and uh, they have created their own sort of closed loop solution where they have compostable products but then they have partnered with waste facility, an industrial composting facility, where they will have then pickup and delivery to these industrial composting facilities. There, it's 
close the loop because then you have collection and you have the facility. Whereas here in Europe, we would love to have the same. And we're working, you know, with a bunch of different types of stakeholders and we're looking at different solutions to see if we can bring something similar here. And we know that, for example, in the Nordics, it's a little bit more difficult with industrial composting. So maybe we should focus on recyclability. And that's also something that we have to consider for products. So maybe we need to have both. So it's not just yep. one that fits, you know, all of the markets because there's no such thing as a perfect market solution yeah, across the board. It's probably that we have to have one that fits this market, one that fits that market. Okay. It's really great you're bringing that up. It just shows how you need to consider these different local contexts, including their waste systems, but also production facilities and practices there. Yeah. And then Lindsay and I started talking about how she and her team went about developing some of these circular economy solutions. I mean, I think for us, a lot of it, you know, is about learning, really learning our products. So understanding our products from, from the raw material to the end of life. And also understanding where we have control and where we don't have control. Because when you have control of the whole supply chain, which I think is actually a really hard thing as a company to do, and in reality, I don't think most companies have full control of their supply chain. But it's, it's understanding, you know, the hot spots where, where we can influence, where we can't, where we need to learn, where we need to work with different stakeholders, where we need to maybe design specifically so we have control, you know, in the design process, but maybe we don't have control in where the customer throws the product away at its end of life. And can we have control of that? And then Lindsay said something what really reminded me about the first episode with Martin from Lenair Group, one of the key challenges is to fulfill all the different requirements. So that is that products are scalable, that they fulfill customers' needs, that they are financially viable, and of course, that they deliver the desired environmental benefits. There's so many sort of dots you have to connect. Um, yep. Something has to be scalable, it has to be affordable, it has to, you know, fit the safety standards that we have for food contact, it has to, you know, fit other requirements that we have for design purposes, it has to be affordable for the customer. So there, there's so many things that we sort of have to go through and I, I feel like it's so difficult to tick every single box. Yeah, right. We're really trying. <laughs> to design a product that can fulfill all these requirements. Yes. Like they can easily come as a trade-off, right? It's not that every environmental solution would also be financially viable and balancing these trade-offs. Yeah, exactly. We heard at the beginning of this episode that having a good understanding of the actual end of life of single-use products is key to making them more circular or sustainable. Are products collected separately after use? Or do compostable products actually end up in a waste stream where they can be composted? And these types of questions. So I was really curious to hear a bit more about that. I thought it was really interesting when you said that you're trying to track what happens with the products at the end of the life, trying mm -hmm. to understand how customers are actually using it, what happens there. I'm wondering how you go about that. Do you talk to restaurant owners or is it also maybe the end users that you are talking to? Can you share yeah. more of that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we have definitely looked, talked to restaurants or customers where 
I think we're, we're very engaged with our customers. Um, so we, we really are interested in their problems, what, what they want uh, solved, what they're looking for. Because of course, you know, it's, it's quite important that you have a happy customer. And I mean, I think in general, our customers want to be able to feel like they're doing the right thing, especially with the disposal. When you have single use, especially as a restaurant, so you're collecting all this waste and all of a sudden you put it into this, um, this trash bin or you know, recycling bin or whatever, you want to be able to feel good that this something else is happening to this material because yeah. it feels like a lot and you can see it. Right. Um, so we, we, have, we have worked with, we've talked to you know, this customer, one of the customers that said, yeah, we would love to do something with this extra waste. I have done a lot of contacting actually waste handlers yeah. because it, it turns out that our recycling system is, is not really that great in Europe. Um, I was really surprised. I thought, you know, as soon as you feel really good when you recycle a product, but what actually happens is it, it's not so often that it actually turns into another material. Yeah. So it was talking, it was learning a lot and talking a lot with the, the, the recyclers, the waste handlers, the ones collecting, the ones hauling, the ones sorting, the ones, you know, selling. Uh, yeah. it's, it's only a few, if we're talking plastic, yeah. plastic uh, resins that actually do get recycled. Yeah. You know, I have some waste handlers that I can just call up and ask them and talk to them. It's also yeah. about creating these relationships, I realize. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's so insightful just to see how you get started yeah, and that you need these partnerships. And then Lindsay said something about how it can be very challenging to find out what does circular economy even mean in the context of one's own organization and how can that be defined? Defining what sustainability is, defining what circular economy is, and I still feel like this is a huge learning curve. We're still learning about what these mean and I think it's always going to be a moving target. Um, I always tell communications or marketing, <laughs> they don't necessarily love me because uh, I, I'm sitting in the back and, and they want to simplify a topic or sustainability or they want to be able to say, okay, this, our, this product is sustainable. And I say, we can't say that. We, you know, I don't think anything is sustainable. We're still working towards sustainable and we always or we will be for a long time. So it's a moving target. And I think it's frustrating, yeah. especially in marketing right? That uh, you can't just say, okay, we have the absolute perfect solution. You can't get better than this because it can always get better. And what I find also really interesting about Lindsay's work, how do you even go about initiating such radical changes in a company that is spread around the globe with production units and daughter companies in 24 countries on different continents? Circular economy is a lot about control, controlling the design of products, control over material sourcing, over production, and especially over the end of life of products. But serving global markets where each country has their own waste handling system, how do you even get started? Lindsay, help. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's really difficult um, when you, you do have so many different actors and, and countries. And uh, I mean, even just the market within a country can be really different. Yeah. Um, so it's, 
I think we just need to we just need to get involved more and it needs to go beyond me. It's we, we've tried to involve, you know, our sales or our marketing because we, we want them as well to sort of act as spokespeople and this right. to be comfortable and to learn, to bring in new information, to yeah. teach them how to okay, find if, if we're working with, for example, the end of life, so recycling or whatever, or industrial composting, to get them comfortable with asking the right questions, so learning about this so they can find it themselves to you know, help customers or to bring new insight to Dooney. Right. Because it's impossible for one person to sit and say, okay, I can, I can cover all of this. So yeah. we're working with developing that. And I think that's, you know, that's something that we're going to be building upon for sure. I don't think we've really even hit the, really gotten into it, but we're starting to. Right. So in terms of departments, you say it's especially important, the supply chain, the marketing, or who is especially important to include? Yeah. I mean, all of them. (laughs) I, I, I really do think it's quite important to, I mean, you start from, you start from sourcing, start from the designers, start from, you know, our product managers start and then, you know, go into marketing and sales and, and each one has its own role. But of course, you know, you're creating that red thread. So what is it that we're looking for? How can we form, you know, sort of cohesion around the sustainability topic or circular economy topic so that we're acting in the same way and we understand the same things because I think that's actually been a huge challenge is to actually understand what it is that we're expecting from these products and in terms of sustainability or circular economy. As we're coming towards the end of this episode, I always like to ask about recommendations for good tools or softwares. And I can give you a heads up here. Something that Lindsay and her team find useful is the software for benchmarking environmental impacts of Dooney's products so that customers can compare these before making a purchasing decision. And I think I need to warn you that we kind of drifted off topic and started talking about how difficult it is to really estimate environmental impacts of products and that it so much depends on context and available LCA data. But yeah, I'm not cutting this out because I thought this is actually something you may also experience in your work. I was wondering if there are any softwares or tools that you're working with in your Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fun question. Um, we actually created our own tool. We were looking to try to get customers to understand different perspectives of a product. So instead of looking at a product from a price perspective or a design perspective, we also wanted to show them a sustainability perspective. Right. Um, so for example, the product environmental carbon footprint. We thought, let's come up with our own solution to doing this. Um, so what you can do is a sales person can go in yeah. with a customer and you can open up this tool and you can say, okay, this is the product that you know I want to look at. And then it gives an overview of the product's footprint. So you can see which emissions it gives off in which stages. So from you know the raw material and processing manufacturing packaging, uh, shipping, and end of life. And there's actually three different scenarios you can choose from for end of life. So you can choose um, recycling, you can choose incineration for energy recovery, 
right. and you can choose a landfill. We don't ever want a customer to put their product in the landfill, but it's just a show. The other thing they can do, um, which is sort of the highlight of this tool, is they can compare it to another product, our own products. So we want customers to choose more sustainable products. So we want them to go more fiber-based instead of plastic with the single-use plastic directive, um, which has, yeah. again, been another big challenge for us, but in a really good way. Yeah. Um, because now we can really focus and say, we have a solution. We want you to choose this product because it's better from an environmental perspective. Right, yeah. So the software, it's kind of a dashboard and you can show customers how much they would be saving if they opt for this product versus this product. And you can benchmark a little bit your own products. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. I'm really proud of it, though. It's, uh, it's been one of my highlights, um, starting this tool and then finishing. You, you also mentioned it at the beginning, you need to make things measurable, right? And just learn about yeah. the products and about the materials and where the hotspots are. So maybe playing around with different scenarios on how a product would be handled. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, it, it, it's quite fun because you learn, this is also maybe something that's a little bit more complicated and it shows how complex sustainability is. Yeah. Because when you look at, for example, what the EU talks about in terms of a circular economy, I mean, they have, you know, the waste hierarchy, you know, where, where we should be putting a, a focus on. Right. And with the, the tool, when we focus, so this is mostly about, I mean, it's an LCA, but it's, it's focusing on only one impact assessment, right? Yeah. But sometimes when you look at that landfilling, for example, a plastic product actually gives a better number, a better result. So it has lower impact in terms of a CO2 equivalent. And that's because the plastic doesn't break down. So it's not releasing any yeah. or CO2. Sometimes you, you see a reduced impact right. when the waste hierarchy, for example, says you, sh you should be prioritizing something else. Right. It's very counterintuitive. Yeah, exactly. Once you dig into the numbers of the LCA, you get a better understanding of how our materials actually handled or how is the waste process really conducted. Exactly. And I guess it, it depends completely on the country or where you're located. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you were to compare, because we, when we did the when we calculated the numbers for the tool, it's an EU, I mean, most is, it's an EU average. Most of Sweden's energy does not come from fossil fuels. So therefore you're gonna have a different number if you, when you burn, because the avoidance then, you're comparing it to, you know, the renewable yeah. against the incineration. So it's, it's going to be a little bit higher, the impact, because that you're not going to have that net avoidance because you're comparing it to a renewable that's going in to be used. So you cannot use these numbers as an absolute. I don't think you can use most numbers as an absolute, right? When we, we talk about general terms, it's so yeah. difficult. And that is probably then also a core of those discussions which you had about what does sustainability actually mean? What is sustainable? And what does circular economy mean to us? And I feel we could have an entire episode on discussing maybe only that. <laughs> exactly. I still would like to know. <laughs> yeah. Having even more opinion probably doesn't help get any closer. Okay, honestly, Lindsay almost lost me there. 
that working on LCAs during my own PhD to evaluate the sustainability benefits of circular business models, I had actually made very similar experiences where one ends up with a very counterintuitive result. And that is partly because LCA data estimates the impacts of the actual processes in practice. So maybe a specific production process or a process in waste handling. And they are sometimes not what we expect. And they can also differ with context, such as location. For instance, if a country has a cleaner energy mix. And sometimes such more thorough analysis also brings up potential trade-offs we might not have thought about before. And maybe this reminds you again of episode two, where we talk with Professor Amarie Tillman. And there she explained that some of these intuitive rules, such as the waste hierarchy, reduce, reuse, repair, recycle, and so on, does not always provide the right guidance. But there's so much about this for now. And of course, Lindsay gets the last word. And I asked her if she has any call for action. Biggest call to action I have is probably, you know, just get engaged. I think it's it's learning more about the complexity of things. There's there's never a black and white version, and there's always there's always a bit more complexity into it. And I think that uh, there's certain things where we we can contribute, we can help, we can do differently, we can change our own behavior, and of course that's what we have control over. It, but I think it's also really important to you know try to understand what it is that we're doing or why we're doing the actions that we're doing. I mean, is it because, you know, we, we saw something in the media and it makes us feel better? I think it's yeah. always good to question, question everything. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was useful for you. You can help me make this podcast circulate. But how? Well, give it a like, share it with someone, or send me a message. All feedback is welcome. 